But now to the moment at hand. Just over a decade ago, our church entered into a ministry partnership with African New Life. And in that time, we've had the privilege of seeing God transform lives through over 400 child sponsorships from our church alone. Most of those child sponsorships are in a community called Bujasera. And it's been an incredible honor to partner with African New Life. On their mission statement, African New Life exists to transform lives and communities through preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and acts of compassion. And if you've ever been around Pastor Charles, you've heard him say, you've heard Pastor Charles talk about the two hands of the gospel, the two hands of gospel ministry, gospel preaching, and then gospel compassion. And it's when you bring compassion and gospel preaching together that God moves in powerful ways. We've seen that. That's become a paradigm in our own church as we think about missions. And so we're so honored to celebrate today that partnership. Pastor Charles Mugisha is the president and founder of Africa New Life Ministries. He and his wife Florence have master's degrees from Multnomah University. While they were attending Multnomah, God gave them the vision for the ministry that we now call Africa New Life. And we want to show you just a really quick video that captures the heart of this ministry. And then we'll bring up Pastor Charles. I couldn't believe my eyes. Even a few years later, the country looked dead. And the children? The children had no hope. We needed God to intervene. Rwanda has come so far since that horrible time. The country is safe. The economy is growing. The people have hope. But many children still live in poverty. The African New Life, we believe in transforming lives using two hands. The hand of the gospel and the hand of compassion transforming lives like women. My upbringing was really hard because I lived with only my single mother. So we were around seven kids mom was taking care of. We didn't know we would wake up and go to school because we didn't know where the money would come from. It was a few months later that Aunt Rebecca came back home. She was like, I need you got sponsors from USA that are going to be sponsoring you from today. So beginning next month, you're going to be in class. Come and take your uniforms, come and take your books, and go to school. I started thinking about my future. I was like, now I have to wake up and do something to myself. From then on, I had the mind of being a leader. Now I'm joining the University of Rwanda, Kuya campus, and I'm going to do international relations and politics. I didn't know after I made African New Life, this would happen. I believed in God more than anything else. Each child has an inherent dignity given to them by their maker. We believe when a child responds to the good news of Jesus, when they receive a quality education, and their health 
and communities are progressing, amazing transformation takes place. Sponsor child today and transform a life. Join us in letting every child be Pastor Charles is here today to share a message with us about love and the church. He has his doctorate from Gordon-Conwell Seminary. He serves as the lead pastor of New Life Bible Church in Kigali, Rwanda. And together, he and his wife Florence are raising their four children, five children, five children. Will you please give a River West welcome to Pastor Charles Mugisha? Wow, thank you for the welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor, for the invitation to be here and for all the opportunities to bring the good news of Jesus Christ and to help the children of Rwanda. It's so good to see all of you, my friends. You know, we've not seen each other for some time. COVID is a bad thing. And we are beginning to see each other. I came with my wife, Florence, she's right there, and my son, let me ask her to stand up. She has a mask, but I'll ask her to stand up, and, and my son, Joseph. It was beautiful to see my friend Paul around here, and his wife, and his son, Isaac, his Isaac, and my Isaac. We were together at Mount Noma, helping out each other to babysit uh, as we tried to jump into classes and out of classes. Um, as you've seen the video, in 1994, we had the worst tragedy that has ever happened on the continent of Africa, when nearly a million people were killed in 90 days because they were Tusi. It's the genocide of the Tusi people in Rwanda. And that broke our nation. It broke my heart. Fortunately, I'm here because my dad ran away and left the country uh, very early, running away from the genocide because the genocide began out in his area. And uh, God saved us. 1995, just after the genocide, I returned to Rwanda. I was around 26, uh, 27, 26. And uh, my heart was completely broken by what I saw. I mean, you don't want to see what I saw. I thank God for the healing. I mean, dead bodies were still smiling everywhere. The country was dark and so broken. But the good news in the middle of that and in the middle of our family crisis as refugees, I found Jesus Christ or Jesus found me and, and saved me. And when I re-entered my home country, I was a different person. I had a relationship with Jesus, and I felt God had a different mission for my life, to go back to Rwanda one day and start a ministry in that country. We call it a ministry of two hands, where the gospel and love meets, intersects. And at that time, at that moment, we start to see transformation. God, in his providence, helped me meet my wife. She had the same vision. We met in Bible college. 
And after meeting in Bible college, we actually ended up coming to Portland, Oregon. Some of you may know a gentleman by the name Dr. Tim Robnett. He used to work for Luis Palau. He was a professor at Mount Noma. He brought us to go to school here in Portland, Oregon. And while we were here, it's interesting, the call became more intense than ever before, that God was calling us to go back to Rwanda. We didn't know many people around apart from fellow students, and we didn't have the resources. But my wife was babysitting children here in Portland and saving some money for our future home while I was going to seminary. Out of that, out of my seminary training, I actually learned how to write a vision, write a ministry plan, and communicate the vision. Meanwhile, the money my wife saved, God used that money for us to go back home and start a small preschool. And out of that preschool of 30 children, now we are around 12,000 children sponsored in the nation of Rwanda. Uh, uh, a hospital, a Bible college. I felt like we need to train pastors and give them training. Over 250 uh, students studying the Word of God at Africa College of Theology, fully accredited Bible University. Uh, seven, eight churches planted. God has done amazing things. As I stand here, we are celebrating 20 years of African New Life Ministries. So, thank you. Thank you for standing with us for the last 10 years, nearly 11. And by the way, River West gave us a model. And we're now implementing that model. You were the first church that decided to support and help plant a church as a local church. And one American church called River West helped us go to Bujasera to plant the new life in Bujasera. I bring greetings to you from Pastor Kayumba and the congregation of the brethren in Bujasera, who knows so much about River Westy and love you and pray for you. And as a result, now we are planting multiple churches, asking churches to partner with us on a church plant project. So the model continues to grow. So thank you for sponsoring children. Thank you for standing with us. The need is still there. We came with a number of more children here to be sponsored, and it would be a beautiful thing to see more of them getting sponsored by you. Uh, today, I want to bring a message. The message I've titled it, What Matters Most in the Church? We could even say, What Matters Most at River West or New Life Bible Church or any other church? Let's pray. God, I come before you. This morning, I ask you to give me the grace, the anointing, the wisdom, the message for this ministry, for this church. Lord, may you speak to me and allow me to speak on your behalf to your children in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, what matters most? If you came to 
our church in Kigali and asked some of the younger families, they will tell you that what matters most in our church is the children's ministry. We have a children's ministry of over 250 kids. And all these younger families in the city, they love to come to our church because of children. When you ask others who have teenagers at their home, can I say, it's the teenage ministry in the church. When you ask uh, some older people, they're going to say, we want to go to a church that takes care of senior, uh, uh, the seniors in the church and has a place and a ministry for them. You know, everyone is going to ask for what they want. Now, if you ask me, maybe I can say, the sanctuary, you know, I love beautiful sanctuaries. I was raised up Roman Catholic. And as a Roman Catholic, sanctuaries were so central to, to our faith, the building, the church. And I remember my priest, Father Joseph, was an Italian, and he took care of our church building. To me, that was important. Now, all of us here may come up with our own opinions of what we think matters most in the church. But this morning, I want us to go to the scriptures. Friend, what matters most is what God has said. What matters most is what comes from the scriptures because that has been tested and proven to be what is true and good for us. In the book of John, chapter 13, verse 34 to 35, Jesus talks, gives us a new command, a very important command, and unfortunately, it's the most neglected command within the church. But remember, this is Jesus' command. He commands us. It's an imperative. It's a must. It's not a choice. It's not a feeling. It's not what we vote on. It's a must. The Bible says a new command I give you. He commands his disciples. He does not even invite them to vote on it. He commands. And he says, love one another. That's very deep. Love one another. And then he told them how they should do it. As I have loved you. Now you're talking about the love of Christ for us. That measure of love of Christ for us. Christ invites us to extend that same love to, to each other. So you have, so you must love one another. Again, listen to the word they are must. It's a command, it's a must. It's a command. It's a must to love one another. We have differences, but in spite of our differences, he invites us to love one another. Let me make it even worse. We have different political parties, <laughs> but in spite of our political parties, he invites us to love one another. We have different accents, but in spite of our accents, he, he invites us to love one another. 
You know, Americans say I have an accent, and when I meet Irish people, I tell them you have an accent. <laughs> you know, in spite of all our differences, he commands you, he commands us to love one another. And the reason he commands us to love one another is that love magnifies the gospel. The Bible says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Love magnifies the gospel. Love magnifies the gospel. Love sheds greater light on the gospel. You know, you can win an argument, you, 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 can, you can win an argument and still lose a soul. You can win an argument and still lose a soul. But let me tell you, when you love someone, you actually change their lives. They are things they, they are just gonna put down because they feel loved and they feel accepted. Other words, Jesus is saying, accept one another, receive one another. And this is so critical and important in the church. I really feel that as a church, we don't preach enough about the love of the brethren. We don't preach enough about it. And we really need to be the church and start talking about love a little bit more. Why love matters most? Why does love matter most? And I want to say, again, I want to I wanna go to the scriptures. In the book of 1 John, chapter 4, verse 16. 1 John, chapter 4, verse 16. This is why I believe love matters most. The Bible says, and we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. Now, look at that verse. Sometimes we go very fast, and we don't uh, examine it. It says, we have known and believed the love God has for us. We've known it. We have believed it. I hope you've received it, and God commands us to give it away. But it says God himself is love. In other words, in loving each other, we are more like God. We become more like God by the act of loving each other. Now, is that not actually being transformed into the image of God? You know, many times when we think about discipleship, Especially in the Western world, discipleship is very theoretical. In the sense, how many books of so and so have you read? How many Bible classes have you been to? Which group do you belong to? And what are you studying? You guys love to study, and that's a beautiful thing. Even, even nearly every, every other Christian has a commentary and a, and a concordance and, a, and different tools to study the Bible. God has blessed you with so many tools, and that is beautiful. But friends, let me tell all of us, till we put the study into action, 
That study does not make sense. In other words, by loving each other and loving the brethren, we become more like a God. We are transformed in his image because God himself is love. In fact, the Bible says, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. And you can see the miracle there, the mix. The cake gets sweeter and better when we are in love. Because God is love, in loving we are most like him. So love is the foundation of every command God has given us. The whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love one another as you have loved him. Uh, 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 love one another, love others as you love yourself. Love takes on even a greater significance for those who follow Jesus. The level of love within a church community tells us of the spiritual health of the fellowship. How do we measure the spiritual health of the fellowship? We measure the spiritual health of the fellowship by how we love one another. You know, we have come up with this whole idea of big churches, and I am for big churches. I want to see more people come to Jesus. But I also want to see the fellowship and the love of the church expressed in a non-professional way, where people genuinely are for each other and love each other because that determines the spiritual health of the fellowship. The spiritual health of the fellowship is not determined by the lights and the sounds and all the modern things we do. We determine that the church is healthy because people love each other. I love Paul. I love the book of Romans. I love Paul in every way. I love Paul because Paul was a good scholar. Sometimes I've said, you know, I love the, the I love the humility of Moses. I like the I love the wisdom of Solomon. I don't want his women. I I love the mind of Paul. Man, he was very very smart. I like the charisma of Peter. He had the charisma. I Love the pastoral tendencies of Barnabas. He really was caring. But let me tell you, I love the mind of Paul. Paul was a very smart man. But you know, Paul, who was very smart, he said something very critical in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Paul says, it does not matter what I say, what I do, I am bankrupt without love. To paraphrase. Other Paul says, come on, Paul says, I'm a good teacher. Paul says, I can prophesy. Paul says, I can speak in tongues. Paul says, all these things he can do. But then at the end of the day, Paul says, come on. It does, you, you, you can't be proud of what you do if you don't love the brethren. If you don't love the brethren, in other words, Paul is, is echoing Jesus. Jesus said our love for each other. 
is the greatest witness for the world that we belong to him. He said, your strong love for each other will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Not your statement of faith. We can fight over that one, okay? But let me tell you, I love my statement of faith. I agree with your statement of faith. But at the end of the day, that statement of the faith has to have an outcome of love. I have to do whatever I do in love. I want to argue with you over theology, but in love. Not your political ideology. Politics can divide us. That's why Jesus never started the political party. He started the church where we could all experience his love. Now, so many things have divided us, including uh, a worship style. When you come to Rwanda, we worship differently. We worship differently. Man, we, we would be everywhere. We'd be everywhere. We make a good really really vibrant sound everything shakes you know we, we really we really worship God we express our worship is very expressive very expressive uh, 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 but that worship without love for the brethren is just making noise we are just making noise we need as a church to be constantly reminded to make love a top priority. Why? Because a church without love is just making noise. Just making noise. And then people will know when we just make noise without depth. Without depth. A church without love is not a mature church. In fact, love is the best evaluation for our spiritual maturity. Love is the best evaluation for our spiritual maturity. I grew up in a village, in a village church, with many old people, women, who could not write or read. I had to read the Bible for them because they didn't learn to read, they didn't learn to write. They loved me, and I stayed with them because they really loved me, and they prayed for me, and they prayed me into the ministry. And sometimes these women who could not read, who could not write, I sometimes reflect over their lives and their character, and I really think they were very mature Christians. But they could not read, they could not write, they could not articulate theology like I do, but I really believe they were mature Christians. How do I evaluate their maturity? I evaluate their spiritual maturity because of their character. Because of their character. In other words, in loving my, in loving, in, in, in loving my enemies is the best test for my character. The best test for my character is for me to love my enemies. You know, during COVID, I had the greatest test in my life to really prove that I love my enemies. When we started African New Life, we started African New Life in the eastern part of Rwanda and then in Kigali, but originally my family comes from the southern part of Rwanda. It's called Nyamagabe. Now, I've, I'd never been 
to Nyamagabe. I'd never been to Nyamagabe, partly because my mom doesn't want to go back to Nyamagabe. My family doesn't want to go back to Nyamagabe. We lost a lot of our family members in that whole area of the southern part of Rwanda. My uncle was killed. All his children and his wife were killed, apart from one uh, who survived uh, the genocide. She was away in Burundi. And now... God calls us to go plant a church in Yamagabe. And during COVID, I had the opportunity to go there because there wasn't much to do in the city. And for the first time, I walked on the village where my mom was raised and she lost most of her family members. And I would see the people there with a different eye. I loved every one of them. I had compassion for them. My heart was proven that I have forgiven them and I love them. Let me tell you, by loving my enemies is the best test for my character. It's the best test of what God has done in my life. If God has really done a work in your life, one of the ways you prove that God has done a divine work, a heavenly work in your heart to transform you is when he moves you to love those people who are different from you and who are potentially your enemies. How do we practically become a loving church? This has been a journey for my church to practically become a loving church. We are a church of different ethnicities mixed together. And, and the whole idea of becoming a loving church. In fact, we are talking about it with my wife coming in the car. And she had all these questions to a number of people. And asking them very deep questions. Very deep questions about relationships in our community. So how do I practically become a loving church? Number one, you do that by maintaining a harmonious atmosphere. Harmonious atmosphere. Now, maintaining a harmonious atmosphere is going to cost you self. It's going to cost you yourself. Sometimes it's going to cost you the way you were raised up. Sometimes it's going to cost you what you love. Sometimes it's going to cost you your culture and your lifestyle. It is expensive. In the book of Romans chapter 12, verse 16 to 18, the Bible says, live in harmony with one another. You see, we are now becoming Christians. We are becoming truly God's children. We are getting nearer to the cross, to a point of surrender. Let your will be done. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be hearty, but associate with those who are of low class. Never be wise in your own sight. Repent no one for evil. Don't rehearse hatred, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peacefully with all. That's not easy. Romans 4.19 So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbringing. Living in harmony. Number two, let us commit to being people lovers and encouragers. 
loving people and encouraging people. Let me tell you, this life we live is full of many problems, is full of many challenges. If you don't have a challenge today and you don't have a problem today and you don't have a crisis today, we thank God for you. But tomorrow you may have another one. You may be coming out of one and getting to another or coming out to, to feel better, but life is like that. We all need each other on this journey of life. As pastor, even as a pastor, there are times I just need the church. I just need, I mean, I have some, I have a few deacons and a few elders who are really nice. And I like that because most of my church members don't even ever understand that as a pastor, sometimes I have had moments. But let me tell you, we all have times when we are down. Let us focus on encouraging one another. Paul instructs us to make this building up of others as our goal. That we become a bandy of encouragers, a bandy, a group of people who love one another. Number three, let us value each other and not judge. Value each other and not be judgmental. You know, I've been, I'm reading the book of John and I just love the way Jesus handled that woman they caught in adultery how Jesus handled her. Jesus did not judge her. Jesus handled her. She was a sinner, but Jesus handled her in such a way that she felt the love of Jesus Christ. That is a beautiful thing. So sometimes we make small statements which dehumanize other people. We empty them of their value. And after you've dehumanized the people, you can do whatever you want to do to them and you don't have feelings for it. I was raised up in a culture that dehumanized the people. In fact, the Tusi people of Rwanda, they were dehumanized. Some people would call them snakes. Some people would call them an animal that has a tail. And when you kill a Tusi person, it's not committing sin. You are killing a snake. They have a tail. They're going to bite you. You know, so many things. You know, sometimes when we don't know other people, we kind of have our own own statements and our own judgments. That's why it's so important to get nearer other people and get to learn about their lifestyle and why they are where they are right now. We call that love. That's when the church becomes the real church. That's when the church becomes the light into the world. That's when the world gets to know that we are truly disciples of Jesus. Jesus Christ, and we are Christ followers. Now, Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 to 6. Do not judge, or you will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged with the same measure you use to be measured to you. Why do you look at the spark of a sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? How can you say to your brother, let me take the spark out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? 
And the Bible says, you hypocrite, take first the plank out of your eye, and then you see clearly to remove the spark from your brother's eye. May I tell you something? Love helps us to see clearly. Love helps us to see clearly. Love helps us to see others better, exactly who they are. Number four is the last one as we finish. Let us love outside our comfort zone. My comfort zone is Kigali. My comfort zone is the, is the Eastern province. The Southern province is not my comfort zone. Why? I have traumatic experiences, generational traumatic experiences in those areas, that area. But God says, move out of your comfort zone and go love people out of your comfort zone. In America, I would say, love outside your zip code. Okay? Your zip code is your comfort zone. You are on your zip code because your zip code does not have gun violence. You are on your zip code because you like your neighbor and your neighbor looks like you and, and you like them and you can, you know, you, you all like coffee, you all like tea. You, 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 you drink your wine together around the fire in the evening. You like one another. But listen, he says, we need to move on to our comfort zone, out of our comfort zone. And as we do that, God truly rewards us. Listen to what Luke says, chapter 6, verse 31 to 36. And it says, do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? It's not a bad thing, but there's no credit. Even sinners love those who love them. If you do go to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? He says, there's no credit. There's no credit. It's like you put in and you pull out and you come up with a zero. Even sinners do that. But if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that? You put in, you take out. Sinners lend to sinners expecting them to be paid, to be paid in full. But listen to this, love your enemies, do good to them, learn to them without expecting to get anything back. And the Bible says, then your reward will be great. Your reward will be great. This is where the reward is for real. This is a better investment. You want to invest in love. If I'm going to sell to you a stock, this morning I'm selling to you a stock called love. And in this one, you're not going to lose. It's not Bitcoin. It's not something that's going to go up and go down. You are not going to make a loss when you invest in love. Your reward will be great. And listen to this. You will also have a name. You'll be called the children of the Most High. You're truly God's children. Because this kind, He's kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful as your Father is merciful. You truly become the son and the daughter of your Father. You're representing God. Let me tell you. The best representative you can ever be is not to be a senator, a congressman, or a president, or an MP, 
or a mayor is to be a true representative of God, is to be an ambassador of God. What a great honor God gives us to represent him. How do we do that? We represent him by being a people who love those people who are very much different from us. May God bless you. May God continue to be with you. Thank you for loving the people in Bujasera. They know you. They know River West. <laughs> River West rings in their minds. They pray for you. God has used you to love an entire community. Let me pray for you. God, I want to thank you for our partnership of over 10 years with River West, loving the people of Bujasera, demonstrating your kindness, your care. Lord, we thank you. And in return, I pray for this fellowship. The Lord, you bless your children. The Lord, you will enlarge their hearts, their vision to serve you. Father, I do pray that you shall bring so much blessing in this place to the extent that they won't have where to put it. Once again, Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we ask you to give us the grace to obey the new command you've given us. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Amen.